Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. I have a confession to make. Before this week, this gospel reading was not my favorite part of scripture. I never really liked it, and I never really connected with it, because I always sort of felt like it was a bit of a sham. Like, Jesus is God. He is divine. So I never really felt like these temptations held a lot of real temptation for him. My, my attitude toward Jesus was that I felt distanced from him. I felt like he was just sort of cool, quoting the Bible at the devil, sort of, um, as the kids say these days, just unbothered. And that's emblematic of a fallacy in my own mind, a fallacy of my own imagination toward what it looks like for Jesus to be both fully God and fully man. I think a lot of times I'm guilty of thinking of Jesus as nothing less than sort of a divine genie in a meat suit. That's called docetism, by the way. Uh, It's heretical, and it's also not very helpful. If you want to know anything more about docetism or any of the other Trinitarian dynamics, things like that, Father Jordan is your man, so ask him when he comes back. So it's heretical. It's heretical thinking, but it's also not very helpful thinking because if Jesus is only able to resist temptation because he's divine, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean for humans? How are we supposed to endure temptation? So what the Spirit was inviting me into this week, and I'm hoping the Spirit will invite you into, is to see in Jesus his humanity this morning. The theologian Thomas Oden says it like this, While he remained God all the time, Jesus was not partially or occasionally human. At the same time, this human life was remarkable in the sense that it was not fallen, though tempted. Jesus exhibited and lived out precisely that kind of humanity that had first been given to human history before our fall. The incorruptible divine logos assumed our fragile, vulnerable, created human nature, and in doing so, conquered that which stands against our created human nature, sin and the consequences of sin. So this morning, I want you to see not only who Jesus is in his humanity, but who we are, who we are supposed to to be. Specifically, how we as human beings were designed to contend against Satan. Now, when I say the word contend, I know a lot of you are going to start to go down this path, which is what I go down in my own mind, which is to think about temptation as being this time of me showing like a lot of power or like knowing what to do all the time, having a lot of wisdom or just striving, just keep it striving against Satan and you'll defeat him. But what Jesus shows us here is that to be fully human, empowered by the Spirit, We oppose Satan by being weak, by being foolish, and by resting. Okay, so are you ready? Let's go ahead. Let's open up our Bibles um, to the passage that Deacon Cindy so beautifully read for us. And ironically, in the Pew Bibles, it's on page two because the page number 
uh, starts over again in the New Testament, but you can open up uh, whatever Bible that you have. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and um, because I am only human, I'm only going to be able to look at the first of the three temptations, but I think these principles apply across all three. All right, starting in chapter uh, 4, first one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Seems like a little bit of an understatement there, Matt. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Do you guys remember what episode came before this one in Jesus' life? Anybody remember? What happened right before this? Baptism. Okay, his baptism. Now, Father Jordan has highlighted this before, but it bears repeating that the baptism that Jesus was baptized into was not the baptism that a lot of us have received. It was John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. He was baptized by our baptism, the baptism of weakness and need. Why? To have solidarity with us, to bind himself to us. So now, when he goes out into the desert, we go with him. This new man, this son of God, is going into the arena with our old adversary to play out a scenario that we had been in time and time again and that we had failed in time and time again. Will he succeed where we so often fail? You might think this was a good time for Jesus to exercise some of that divine power that he has because the stakes are really high, right? So like Jesus, just, just pour out some power against the devil and send him away. That's what you're supposed to do. Of course, Satan is right there prompting Jesus with the exact kind of thing that I've just said. He's making what N.T. writes as our appeals that are plausible, attractive, and make, as we would say, a lot of sense. Jesus. You're hungry, and you're divine. Why don't you just zap these rocks and make yourself something to eat? Jesus, you don't have to suffer like a human. You're more than human. But Jesus resists this temptation, and he does not resist it from a place of transcendence, from a place of divine power. No, what does Jesus says? say? Man cannot live by bread alone. When he says man... He means himself. <laughs> Man cannot re live by bread alone. What Jesus is modeling here is not power. It's surrender. Surrender to the will of God the Father. Notice the devil's choice of words here. He says, Jesus, command these stones to become bread. What Jesus says is, he is the one who needs to be commanded. I need to be commanded, Jesus says. So let's flip to the passage of scripture that Jesus is actually quoting from. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's 128 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to go there with me. Good morning, welcome. Okay, 
We're starting here in verse 1. We're transported in this passage back to another wilderness, like the one that Jesus is in. But this time it's the wilderness of Sinai, where Moses is giving the desert generation one last piece of advice before they enter into the promised land. Starting in verse 1, Moses is is referring to the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws. Here's what he says. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Why? That you may live. That you may live. Okay, this may sound obvious, and I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I needed to be reminded this week that the best way, maybe the only way to defeat Satan is to obey God. That is, you have to give yourself to hearing and doing what God tells you to do. Because Satan has behind him a mighty power. It is the power of condemnation. It is the power of death. And we can only defeat him if we have the power of life, the word that brings life. Moses says, and then Jesus repeats him when he's quoting Moses, that God brings life how? Through his word, through his command. What what do they mean by that? What does it mean for man to live by God's word, by his command? Well, okay, what's the first command in the Bible? Anybody know? What's the first command? We start thinking about the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is let there be. Let there be. The word of God, the command of God spun up atoms. It unspooled the universe. Everything that is stone, sinew, smoke, and that word sustains it still. It propels the motion of planets. It propels the motion of blood through your body, and it blows the life through your veins. The breath of life is in you by the word of God. That is God's first command, to be, to live. And God's other commands are about sustaining that life. They tell us not just to live, but how to live. How to live. I love the message's translation of this passage because it puts that kind of command into context. Jesus says in that translation, it takes more than bread to be fully alive. So all of God's commands, including the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots, are God's plan to make us fully alive. We don't always feel that way, do we? We don't see life in God's commands all of the time. And I think that has something to do with the nature of our first temptation. Satan engaging us in a way that caused us to rely on our own cleverness instead of God's wisdom. So let's look at that temptation, which Norma read beautifully for us this morning. Thank you, Norma. And let's then look at Jesus as the second Adam who rejects cleverness, rejects reason, and embraces instead a kind of foolishness. Okay, that familiar passage of the fall. I hope you guys weren't tuning out. Sometimes I tune out when I hear a passage that I've heard many times before. This one is really important. Let's talk about it. Okay, here we have the first commandments that God gives directly to human, human beings. He says, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth and fill it. And then he goes straight to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and he gives the humans a meal plan. He says, eat this fruit, don't eat that fruit. Because there's some fruit that's good, and there's some fruit that just looks good. 
Then we have an, introdu uh, an introduction to Satan. Genesis talks about him uh, taking the shape of the craftiest of all of the creatures, the clever snake. And his appeal to Eve is to her cleverness, too. He flatters her independent reasoning skills. Think about it, Eve. What did God really say? He said, this, this fruit will kill you? Does this fruit look like it will kill you? And we know the rest, of course. Eve did not trust God's word. She trusted Satan, that's true, but she also trusted herself. She trusted her own eyes. She trusted that she could tell what was good, even though God had told her it wasn't good. So she took hold of what she thought was life, and when she bit into it, she found out it was death. And ever since Eve, this is the patterning that we have. We're suspicious of God. Will he give us enough? Will he give us what we need? And I have to say, this suspicion makes a lot of sense to me because sometimes God insists on feeding his people really weird food sometimes. Like, have you ever thought about manna? Does anybody remember what man, the word manna means? What is it? Manna means, what is it? Which makes sense because here's the description of manna from Exodus. It was a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So it looks weird. It comes from a weird place. It doesn't grow up from the ground, but it comes down from the sky, and it looks like frost? Okay. What I mean to say is, if you're an Israelite and you're in your right mind, you're looking at this and you're saying, that doesn't look like bread to me. Moses is saying this is bread, and I, I trust Moses, but it, I, I my eyes are telling me this isn't bread, but I, I'm being told it is bread. I imagine that the act of eating manna for the first time required some trust. Okay, so let's go back to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that Jesus quotes from from before, Moses has an interesting phrase that he uses to describe the manna. He said that the manna was the bread that the desert generation did not know. Did not know. Starting in verse 2. Here we go. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness and that, uh, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, let's process this through a little bit. First note that God isn't test testing the Israelites for no reason. He's not having fun. He's not torturing them in any way. He's not cruel. Rather, he needs to know and he needs to let them know what is in their hearts, i.e., whether they trust in themselves or whether they trust in him. The manna was just a basic way for God to show the Israelites that they could trust him. He could, they could trust him to provide for them, even if it was in a form that didn't make any sense to them. And manna was just the basic provision here. You eat it, and then you get hungry again. <laughs> it won't keep you forever. God meant the manna as a start, as a symbol 
of how much more he could provide for this, his people if only they would trust him and obey, that they would obey his word, that they would obey every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What does this mean for us in these desert moments of our lives? Maybe you're looking around your life and you're saying, God, I, I thought I asked you for bread, <laughs> but all I see are, are stones. Can you really be a good father? I wanted health, but I got a diagnosis instead. I wanted to carry life, but my womb won't hold on to a child. My plans have failed. My efforts seem to be coming to nothing. Lord, I asked for a friend, but I am alone. <laughs> These are the real moments of temptation, friends. And there are moments when we can fall into despair or we can fall into Moses' favorite phrase, grumbling. Okay, we can fall into grumbling. And this is exactly what the devil wants you to do. Or we can fall the other way. We can spite the devil and fall straight into God's arms. We can say, like Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, Father, I do not know what you are doing, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust that if I have rocks, you can bring water from them. I trust that if I don't see any food and I'm hungry, you can rain bread from the sky. I trust that you can provide for me in ways that I cannot even imagine right now. Because let me tell you something. God knows something about you that maybe you don't know yet. Because he is a good father. And he wants to provide good things for you. That's why we're asked to pray for our daily bread. It's a good thing. And God wants us to give, give us good things. But what he wants more to give us is the most good thing. He wants to give us himself. Because he knows that bread alone won't feed you forever. It will feed you for a little while. But what you need is the bread you don't know. The bread of heaven. The bread that can preserve you, as the Eucharist liturgy says, body and soul to everlasting life. And that bread isn't a what. It's a who. I started off this point by saying that to resist temptation, we must embrace foolishness. But really, what I think I mean by foolishness is purity of heart. Now, don't mishear me. A lot of us in this room who grew up evangelical get activated by the word purity. That's not what I'm talking about here. Purity of heart, I think, was best defined by Jacques Philippe in our our book that we're reading for Lent, Interior Freedom. Here's what he says. Pure-hearted people are not so much those free of all faults or wounds as those who put all their hope in God and are certain his promises will be fulfilled. Can you hear the invitation here? It's an invitation not to be strong, <laughs> not to be wise, to be carried, carried by hope that God will make good on his promises. And we know that all of the promises of God find their yes and amen, amen in Jesus. So finally, the temptation here, something that we learn from Jesus, is that to resist, we don't have to strive. We have to rest. A lot of bread talk this morning. 
there's another strange passage in John's gospel that's about bread. After hanging out with a Samaritan woman, Jesus and his disciples are, are uh, talking together, and uh, Jesus' disciples say to him, Lord, Lord, you look tired, you look hungry, why don't, you should have some bread to eat, regather your strength. And Jesus says something kind of funny, <laughs> I think it, it might be a pun. Jesus answers the disciples and he says, I have bread that you do not know about. Remember that manna was the bread that they did not know. The disciples think he's like hiding a baguette in his tunic or something, but Jesus clarifies and he says, my bread is to do the will of the one who sent me. The thing that nourishes Jesus the thing that brings life to him is to do his father's will. The thing that brings life to Jesus is to bring life to us. I think we can look at Jesus out there in the desert showing perfect obedience to the father and feel actually kind of condemned by that because we know we can't do that. We have faced temptation again and again, and we fall into it again and again. I will probably fall to temptation this afternoon. But friends, remember, please, please remember, Jesus came not just to show forth righteousness, but to become righteousness on our behalf. What we are welcomed into here, friends, is to witness Jesus' full faithfulness to God that is now counted as our faithfulness. He is the second Adam, and his obedience in the face of temptation means that we get to live with him in a paradise more beautiful than the one that fell. He is the new Israel, enduring in the waste of the wilderness without grumbling, so that we can walk with him into a land of greater promise. Remember when I said that Jesus was baptized into our weakness? Well, it goes the other way, too. We who have been baptized have been united to him, baptized into him, into his obedience, including his obedient death on the cross. And if we have died with him, will we not also be raised with him to eternal life? Friends, this does not come by our striving, so stop. Please, stop striving. Stop eating the bread of anxious toil and come, eat the bread of life. Drink his blood at this table. Remember that today is the Sabbath. Sabbath and manna were instituted at the same time. So come, eat, and know that you have everything that you need to be fully human, fully alive, if only you will trust in him. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.